You ever have a conversation that kind of went like this? Hey, um, I'm not going to be able to go bowling on Tuesday night because I lost my job and my transmission went out. And my, I think my mom is really bad sick. And then they say, oh, hey, don't worry about it. We weren't going to bowl on Tuesday night. We'll just bowl next week. And you're like, did you hear what I just said? I lost my job, my transmission went out, and my mom is seriously ill. Were you listening to me? Were you listening to anything I said? This is the text today. It's exactly like that. Jesus is working with his disciples, and sometimes his disciples really, they hit a grand slam home run. They just say the right thing at the right time. It's like, and he says to them, that answer that you just gave me didn't come from men. That answer came from God. How would you like it if that's what Jesus said to you? I would think that would be pretty neat. And, and then a little bit later, the same guy, Jesus says to him, that answer didn't come from God. That came from <laughs> the devil. How would you like it if... That's how that went. Jesus is like, were you even listening to what I said? That's what we're going to see. Let's put the PowerPoint up there because it will give you guys the text to look at if you can find it. It's in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. Matthew chapter 16, thank you, verse 21. It says through 23, but I reserve the right to go beyond verse 23 because I'm just looking at you today and I'm just thinking, you're good for that, all right? And we're going to do all this and we're going to quit by noon or shortly thereafter, okay? So relax, all right? You're going to be early in line down at Famous Dave's for Dad. You take care of him, okay? So let, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Rich, you have the most wonderful timing. You really do. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Hey, let's just take a look at this. It's kind of interesting. Um, in Matthew 16, now we're looking at verse 21, and I want you to notice what, what's going on here. Three, three uh, little sections, three little chunks in this lesson, which is a shocking lesson. The first is Jesus makes this prediction. And you remember what's going on here is Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi with his disciples, and he has just gotten through telling them, remember this, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build. I just realized that you came here from Taiwan today. I was looking at, I was looking at you, I was like, oh my goodness, welcome to Evangel from Taiwan I'm just glad to have you back. It's just Sorry, sometimes you're in the middle of your message and all of a sudden you realize, like, you wake up and it's good to see you. How many of you came from farther than Taiwan today? Man, nice to see you guys again. So you totally made me lose my train of thought. So Jesus makes this amazing prediction. You have to have a lot of energy to follow me here. It's just the way it works. Jesus makes this amazing prediction here. And it is an, it's an incredible prediction. It's kind of really horrible and really amazing at the same time. And you find it here now as the disciples are going along with Jesus, and he's teaching them, he's always training them. In verse 21, here's what it says. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and he must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. This is Jesus' prediction. I want you to notice and I, 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 uh, the, the elements of this prediction are kind of amazing. Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is kind of a big deal. They're a long way from Jerusalem. And when he goes to Jerusalem, it's very dangerous. It would be probably prudent to stay away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place where they normally kill people that are prophets. But Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. So that's one thing. And then he says, furthermore, he says, I'm going to suffer there. 
Now you got to remember, he just got through saying, Peter says, you're the Messiah. And he goes, you're right, God told you that. And now I'm going to go suffer. And they could not put that together. You're the Messiah and you're going to... Why would the Messiah ever suffer? He's the Messiah. He's going to come in military might, conquering king, political power. He says, I'm going to suffer. This is a shocker to them. They're not sure about that. That's the piece they really hadn't picked up on in the Old Testament about the Messiah. And then he says, I'm going to suffer many things. You're not just going to suffer a little bit or a short time. He says, I'm going to suffer many things. Now, it's a kind of a shock who he's going to suffer these things from. He says, these are going to be at the hands of the Romans. What does your Bible say? No, the religious people are going to make him suffer. He would suffer at the hands of the religious establishment. He says, these would be the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. We're talking the Sanhedrin. The religious people that are in power, he's going to suffer many things at their hands. This is a shocking lesson. This is frying their circuits as disciples. They're like, that's not what we were thinking. And that, by the way, happens when you follow Jesus. You'll get your circuits fried every once in a while. And then he says this. He says, I'm not going to just die. We know he lays down his life. You know that because you know the story of Jesus. But in this case, what he says is, I'm going to be killed in an unjust way. I'm, going to, I'm not going to have my life taken from me in, in, a, in, a, in a decent civil way, like capital punishment. I'm going to get my life taken from me in murder. And we know there's a sense in which Jesus lays his own life down. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm going to get murdered. So far, really sounds awful, doesn't it? And if you loved him and he'd done all these wonderful things for you, and he'd answered your prayers and he'd raised the dead and he'd fed the hungry and he'd ministered to the poor and he'd caused blind people to see and he walked on the water and he'd cast demons out of people, and you followed him, you would just love him so much, it would be so hard for you to hear, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to be murdered. But then he says, and I'm going to rise again after, on the third day. I'm going to rise again on the third day. Now, remember my story that I opened with, you know, when I said, I lost my job, my transmission went out, my mother might be sick, oh, don't worry about missing bowling. This is what happens here. Peter now is going to answer him as if he really didn't really hear him. Jesus has said some incredible things. Look at all those things that he said. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of religious establishment. I'm going to be murdered and rise again. This is my plan. This is what's going to happen. Peter says to him, I don't like the plan. He <laughs> rebukes Jesus. Now, I just want to say this really nice. Be really careful who and when you rebuke. All right, listen to me on this. It's important. Be really, really careful who and when. They're, rebuke is like pepper and salt. You know, pepper's good, but be careful with it. Um, and, and like, for instance, I remember in a, a specific time in my life when a guy needed a good rebuke. So I gave it to him. And I felt really good for about 30 seconds. And then I remember the Bible says rebuke not an elder, and this guy was older than I. And the Lord just wouldn't let me go on that until I went to him and I asked his forgiveness for rebuking him. Somebody older than him should have rebuked him. This would have had to have been really old. But, or I should have, the Bible says, the Bible says, I should have entreated him as a father. You know, you're just like, be careful who you rebuke. Peter, and I think we can kind of throw a blanket of love over this 
It actually says that he kind of probably physically took a hold of Jesus as if he was ahead and Peter just kind of physically takes a hold of him and says, no, and he rebukes Jesus. This is not something you want to do. You don't tell him his ideas are bad. You don't tell him you have a better idea. You don't tell Jesus that's not how it's going to happen. I mean, after he says all these specific things and then he's going to rise again from the dead, you might think, well, Peter might have thought, oh, wait a minute, maybe I should hold my tongue for a minute here and find out what is he really saying. Show me. It would have been great for him to say, show me that in the Bible. Jesus would have done that as he did on the road to Emmaus. And so, but Peter didn't do that. Peter, it would have been a great time for Peter. I'm not picking on Peter. I kind of relate to this guy, but, and maybe you do too, but Peter would have been a great time for him to say, so tell me more. What should we do then when you get, when you suffer and die? What should we do? Wouldn't that have been a great question? Or help me understand why the Messiah would ever suffer. That would have been good. But he doesn't say that. He just blurts out a rebuke in verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. This shall not happen to you. You understand, this is what Jesus came to do. And Peter is saying, this is not going to happen to you. And Jesus is going to say to him, Don't you ever talk to me like that. You don't realize how bad it is what you just said. And so then Peter rebukes Jesus. And then in verse 23, Jesus rebukes Peter back. Now again, P- Peter's rebuke wasn't the rebuke of a person who hated Jesus. It was, a, it was kind of misguided loyalty, misguided love. Let's do what God wants us to do, but let's not suffer here. Let's not go and do something crazy like die. Let's just serve Him in a kind of a nice way and be a good influence on the world, and let's not die. And Jesus says, that is a demonic idea right there. And you're going to see that in Jesus' rebuke. In verse 23, this is a kind of a shocking thing. He whirls around and he says to Peter, now you've got to remember, Peter is the guy that he just got through saying to him, flesh and blood did not, remember he says, you are the Christ, Jesus. Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. And now Jesus says to the same guy, he says, get behind me, Satan. Would that have been hard for you to take? It would have been hard for me. It's like pit to the pinnacle, hero to zero. I mean, wow, you know, I would be, I would be like, hey, guys, did you hear what he just said? I never heard him say that to you guys. I, mean, I never heard him say, God told you that to you guys. He just, he just said that to me, little, little humble Peter here. <laughs> he just said that to me, but he never, that's what I would do. Now you know a little bit more about me. I'd be like, I'd be, I would be, if I, would, I probably wouldn't say that. I'd probably just think it. In my mind, I would like, <laughs> I never heard him say that to the other guys, but he said it to me. So that about the time that he's like, now he's feeling like he can tell Jesus what to do. He's <laughs> like, no, you're not, we're not going to do that. He's like, whirls around and says to him, get behind me, Satan. This is uh, a picture of how Jesus dealt with temptation. This was a temptation. Jesus was tempted but without sin, and he was tempted to forego the cross. If somebody tells you they have a religion that's crossless, or the cross is an example, but there's not a substitutionary death, that's not the message of the Bible, that's a demonic religion, and Jesus would whirl around and say, get behind me, Satan. To get like, like, listen to me carefully. This is important. Church is not about where you go to hang out with good people 
who are going to make you excited about doing more good things so you can try hard to be good so you have a good people club with good people bumper stickers that drive nice and aren't rude and listen to long, boring sermons. That's not what church is supposed to be like. Church is not, that's not it. The, the, the message of the Bible is not here. There's a large black leather-bound book of things that we're going to expect of you lest you fry in hell. It's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible, the pages that are bound between the leather covers of this book, is a grand narrative of redemption. How Jesus, God sent His Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, very God, a very God, who never had a beginning and who will never have an end, who went to Calvary on His, uh, on his own to allow Himself to be nailed to the cross so that He would die. And there in His death, God dying on the cross, He would bear your sins and mine. He would give His righteousness in exchange for our unrighteousness. He would be buried and He would rise again. He would ascend to heaven and pray. He's coming back someday. That whole picture, that whole message is the message of the Gospel. The grand flow of redemption that we just long to believe every single week. That's the life-changing thing. This is not a do-gooders club. This is not a moral reformation society this is not a religious museum where we are trying to preserve things from the past this is the place where people declare in space and time to lost sinners here and now living here and now how they can be right with god that's what the church is about and it's happening here it's happening this week it's happening there are people here that are brand new christians in the house right now brand new christians god's delivered them from thieving from drugs from immorality they're here right now they're brand new christians we'll we'll be showing you their stories on video real soon when they get baptized that's going on right now (laughs) that isn't yesterday that isn't the book of acts that's right here and now kind of exciting that's what we're supposed to be about so jesus is going to say to peter don't even think about a religion that doesn't involve me dying a substitutionary death that idea would be demonic. So there you have it. Now, you, you understand what he's done here is, is um, he has just told them, remember, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to go obey the Father and suffer. And then he goes in the next little section, which we're going to deal with in, you know, thoroughly next week, and I know you're going to be here for that and bring lots of friends. Um, we're going to deal with this part. And oh, by the way, Jesus says it like this. I cannot follow my Father without suffering, sacrifice, and death. But I will rise again the third day. Which kind of takes the edge off of it, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, if you rise again, think about that. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. Any kid in Sunday school would have been more excited than you were about that. Sorry about that. You were just like, he's going to rise again. We just, you just heard it so many times, you're not excited about it right now. Jesus gets murdered, and people spit in his face, and they say it's over, and then pop, there he is again. Like, oh, I thought we had this man dead. No, he's not dead. No, he's gathering a great army of followers. Millions of redeemed people are going to spread throughout this entire earth, every color, kind, and tongue of people. And they're going to be in heaven praising him. That's what's going to happen. This story is going to sweep around the globe, and nobody's going to be able to stop it. How cool is that? <laughs> Whew, man, that's exciting to me. Think about that. It's a grand story of redemption. Let's not lose sight of that. But he says it's going to involve suffering and it's going to involve sacrifice and it's going to involve death. So God, Jesus says to his disciples, learn this. 
I cannot follow my father without suffering, without sacrifice, without death. And then the next section, guess what he's going to say? And you can't follow me without suffering, sacrifice, disappointment, and death. And let's read it. Verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Luke says, take up my cross daily. Um, For whoever desires to save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. This is a cryptic, interesting, kind of mysterious, poetic, kind of prophetic, like a proverbial reference that he gives. You want a life? Let me tell you how to get a life. You lay down your life. You're scratching your head like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I know how to get a life. Win the lottery. That's how to get a life. I know how to get a life. Traded my old wife for a man would say, not me, but another might say, traded my old wife for a new young wife. That's how to get a life. Or two or three. Don't look at me funny. A lot of people are trying that thing right there. Somebody says, I know how to get a life. A Corvette would be a life. A bike would be a life. A better job would be a life. Jesus says, no, 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 you've got to like, lay down your life to get a life. Now, I'll, I'll explain that in a moment because it's a perfect thing to land on when you're trying to encourage men. And that's one of the things we want you to leave men today with, with, with inspired and encouraged and helped. And I want to tell you something I think is, I want to remind you something I'm sure you've already heard. But I think it, and it comes right out of this. It's just inspiring to a man in this confusing world. What's a man supposed to do? Whoever desires this, is verse 25, whoever desires to save his life shall lo- will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And then again you have the reward verse, the reminder, like in the other verse about Jesus says, I'm going to lay down my life, but I'm going to rise again the third day. And then he says, and you're going to lay down your life, but look what he says in verse 27. The Son of Man will come. That, who is that? That's, that's, he's saying, that's me. He just called himself the Son of Man earlier. Jesus is putting himself in like exclusively high terms, right? I'm going to come in my glory and I'm going to reward you. No, no man could say that. He really says, when the Son of Man will come in His glory, in the glory of His Father, with His angels. In other words, when I come back in my glory, with my angels, when you think of angels, remember, don't think naked cherubs. Don't think naked little people with, you know, little pink bows and arrows. Think, think scary. Think whenever you see angels in the Bible, it's like they say fear not because you're really freaking out because they're, they're, they're really impressive, right? So he says, when I come with millions of angels in my Father's glory, with his angels, he says, then I will reward each one according to his works. In other words, if you lay down your life, you will get a life. In other words, if you do what I'm talking about, following Jesus, then you're going to be fulfilled. Then you will have a life. Then you will have joy. And in the end, I will come back and I will reward you eternally. This is amazing stuff. Now let's, say, let's make some applications here, some things. Okay, if these are true, then what about us sitting here right now here today? A couple of things I want to show you. Something to remember, God's ways are usually opposite our natural inclinations. Am I right? In other words, God's ways are usually counterintuitive. In other words, here's another way of saying it. Your first reaction is probably wrong. Am I right? 
Am I, am I right? Like, that's a rhetorical question to which you're supposed to answer immediately. Yes, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm right. Your, your first, you're being careful about your answer because you didn't want to be wrong, right? Yeah, your first answer is normally wrong. Somebody cut you off in traffic, your first reaction is probably not. Unless you're a very mature Christian, your first reaction may not be. Sometimes you will be in a very desperate situation like I was with my car one day. It ran off the road, and I, I didn't swear. I said, Jesus spare our lives that was the only thing that came. and he did it was kind of neat because after we wrecked and we weren't killed and our car spun out into the road and the tire went off i thought thank you jesus and thank you that the first thing that came to my mind was your name and that kind of neat you kind of think thank you lord you know i hope when i get old and, and my mind is even worse than it is now it's the good stuff that pops into my mind and my mouth, don't you? I mean, you're always talking about the Lord, and you might want to work on that right now because there come a time when you might have your ability to restrain will be gone, and then you'll say what you what had bowling around there. This is just a little freebie I'm throwing in today. So when you get old, you're sweet, not nasty, you know. But anyway, the first thing you normally, your, your natural inclination is usually wrong. Peter's natural inclination was to tell Jesus not to do this. And our natural inclination is going to be to say, I want to follow you, but I would really rather not suffer, die, you know, lay down my life. That's a mess. That sounds like a messy business. Could we work out a light version of this for me? (laughs) Here's some some lessons for learners. Are you a follower of Jesus? I hope so. What our church is about is helping people become followers of Jesus. And here's some lessons for learners. One, be humble. Be humble. Now, here's why I'm saying this. Look at Peter as an example. What did he do? Jesus rebuked Peter. And a lot of people would have said, well, if you're going to talk to me that way, I'm out. And Peter didn't walk. Jesus said, get behind me Satan in front of a, his friends. I mean, Peter could have been really embarrassed by this. He could have been humiliated. He could have said, I, I'm just not going to be treated that way. I thought this was a religious group. I thought people were going to be nice to me. I didn't know anybody was going to say something bad to me. Peter just takes the rebuke. And he lands on his feet, bless God. In his book, Pastor Michael pointed this out to me because he's going through First Peter. And he said, would you look at this? He says, that Jesus says to Peter, and you can probably say this better than me. He, Jesus says to Peter, you, understand you're going to suffer. So don't be surprised by a fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory will be revealed, you also will be... Like, that's kind of a direct quote of what Peter says in his epistle. He learned this. Instead of being proud, instead of walking, instead of resisting Jesus, men, can I just humbly, sincerely say to you, it's Father's Day, and Father's Day, we do not beat up on men around here. They're going to do it. We don't beat up on men anytime. It's like... But especially on Father's Day, we want you to be honored. So I just want to say this to you guys. Let's all agree that we're Christian men who humble ourselves. We're humble guys that are willing to ask forgiveness when we make a mistake. Nothing more beautiful than that. Nothing more attractive than that. Nothing more like Christ, though he never made a mistake. He humbled himself. And Peter humbled himself. Isn't this beautiful? He humbled himself. So here's a lesson for learners based on our text today. Like Peter, stay in, stay in the hunt, humble yourself. Here's another one, be saturated with truth. Now, if Peter had really understood the Bible, or if he wouldn't have missed the part about the suffering Messiah, everybody almost missed this. And Matthew makes a point, when Pastor Pine was preaching on this text, I think in chapter 12, was it? Chapter 12? That was his section where he was talking about, Matthew kind of inserts, they didn't get that this was supposed to happen, that there was a suffering Messiah. 
We want this religion that doesn't involve suffering, but that's not Christianity, you know. And so it's, it's, it involves resurrection, it involves fulfillment, but it doesn't involve like freedom from pain or suffering or difficulty. Jesus, our Savior, lays down his life. He says, if we follow him, I was thinking every once in a while, it's hard to be a pastor. Wah, 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 wah. And then I thought, but the chief shepherd got crucified. Isn't that interesting? The chief shepherd, the pastor of all pastors that never did anything wrong, got crucified. So, you know, if it's hard to be a deacon, hard to be a pastor, hard to be a Sunday school teacher, don't cry about it. Go, okay, this, I knew that. Je- my, my Savior Jesus, the suffering one, he told me this would happen. That's not going to throw me off. It's not going to get me all confused. Stay with it here, folks. Be encouraged. Be humble and study the Bible and really saturate your mind. Because Jesus says to him, you don't savor the things of God. You savor the things of man. The idea is, you know, you're not thinking, you're not meditating on the things of God right here. That was a natural inclination that you have. That's not good. So we want to saturate ourselves with truth, the Bible. Meditate. That's why it's not a bad idea to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, listen to a lot of preaching, read your Bible every day, go to Sunday school and all that. Because you just saturate your mind. Listen to John MacArthur on the radio, you know, Monday through Friday. You just saturate your mind with the good things, truth. And that way, you're, you're going to understand God's ways better because your mind is saturated with truth. I don't need to kind of belabor that. Let me tell you one more thing, and this is the final thing before my lengthy conclusion. And that is this. Be on mission. Now, this is what Jesus is saying to Peter. You're going to join me on this mission. I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're going to change the world together. Are you ready to go? That's what he's saying. Being a Christian isn't just like warming a pew a day a week and you know, kind of having a creed. It is like joining Jesus on a current mission that he's doing right now. Jesus Christ is on a mission. Spirit of God is hovering over this area. God is calling people to himself right now in this area, this sin-cursed area. There are people all around us, live all around us, up and down our streets, that we can reach if we join Jesus Christ on His mission. We're seeing God do that. I got a call this week, and I had a one day that was just like really super busy, and I got a call, and sister says to me, you like stories. I love it when people say that. This isn't just like stories like missionaries, but like stories. And you like stories? I go, I sure do. Come over to my house, because I have a story to tell you. So I went over to their house, and their they told me a story. Their son told me his story about what God is doing in his life. It's like what you would pray for any kid. I'm not going to tell you right now, but it's, we're talking about something miraculous, something wonderful, something sweet. One day you're going to come to church. Don't miss any week, and the, the screen is going to blink on, and that young man will be on that screen, and he will be telling his story, and then he will be being baptized right here. And he's not today, but normally you would see him in the balcony. Does that ring a bell to anybody? You, you, you know, if I wanted God to fall on me in a special way, I might, like, had a friend and I wanted God to get him. I might take him and sit in a balcony with him because we keep praying about that balcony, right? Now, don't misunderstand. If you're on the main floor, I think God can get to you, you know. He's really good at that. But to me, I'm just driving away going, wow, wow, here's a kid that sits on a balcony and he's not interested in the other one is saying and he doesn't really, he's a nice kid, he's really sweet. All of a sudden, whoo, bang, God, oh, explosions. Like his life gets changed. He wants to get baptized, wants to read his Bible, loves his family, gets off of drugs. <laughs> Some of you need to get off of drugs. And God can help you and deliver you from that. 
And, the, and then you can tell your neighbors that are on drugs how they can get off of drugs or, or whatever it is, you know, that's, that's tearing up their life. This is the mission. This is the come, grow, serve mission that we're talking about. This is the plan that we have right here that you, you say, well, I'm not Billy Graham and, I'm, and I can't talk as fast as you. No one, maybe Tom Harmon, nobody can talk as fast. That's not what you have to do to serve the Lord. If you, you can golf to the glory of God. Walk your dog to the glory of God. You can have a quilting circle to the glory of God. You can help a young man put new tires on his truck to the glory of God. You can be on a mission with Jesus doing what it is that you like to do. Like the old doctor that loved to work on Volvos and I had an old Volvo and I was like thanking him for working on my Volvo. I'm like, I appreciate you doing this. I I feel bad. You're a surgeon. You're busy. He goes, Ken, this is like golf to me. I love doing this. Now, what is it that to you is like golf? Maybe it's golf, not me. But, you know, you're like, it's like golf to you. Do you understand? Jesus probably wants to take that and use you to go on mission to touch people using something that's going to be delightful to you. Or he may teach an old dog new tricks. He might just teach you something new. But join him on the mission. This is what he said with Peter. Come on, we're going to die, but join me on the mission. And then I'm going to reward you. And you're going to find this is how you get a life. I've, I've had so many interesting encouragements this week. Uh, you know, like I got a, a fa- you know, I'm glad I'm Facebook because I got a message from this kid named Jerry Wilson, and 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 I I I'd always remember Jerry because he was a kid when I was years ago. It was like almost 30 years ago. I was a youth pastor, and I was spending time with this kid. And he's just a rough kid, and 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 uh, family wasn't interested in the things of the Lord. And I'd take him putt putt golfing and hang out with him. And one day he knocks on our door, and it's really really late at night. And we, like, go to the door, and he's standing at the door. Remember, he's kind of trembling, and he said, I need to stay here tonight. Can I stay here? And I said, oh, well, what about your mom and dad? I mean, wouldn't they be concerned about where you are? And he goes, well, I don't live with my dad, and my mom wouldn't care. She thinks I'm at a friend's house, but I, if I go to another friend's house, I might do something I shouldn't do, and I wonder if I could just stay here. I remember that. I said, well, sure, and we got him a, you know, sheet and stuff and he he lay down on the couch and then Lois and I went to her bedroom and Lois says do you think this is safe we don't know the kid I'm like I don't know so we went and got Kyle who's a little baby and we brought him in our bedroom we locked ourselves in the bedroom because we're just men of great faith you know and and we locked ourselves in the bedroom I remember that and I'm like uh and I remember that I took this kid to church and we had an evangelist named Fred Brown just a wonderful old evangelist from Tennessee Temple. He, he may have been here before. He was preaching, and I'll, I'll never forget him saying, a lot of Jerry's sitting right next to me, this Jerry Wilson kid, sitting right next to me. And, and Fred Brown is up in the front, and he says, a lot of people think when they die, there's going to be a great pan scale up in the sky. And on the one side are going to be your good works. And on the other side are going to be your bad works. And if your good works outweigh your bad works, you go to heaven when you die. But if your bad works outweigh your good works, you've got to go to hell. But that's not the way it is at all. And Jerry, sitting next to me, looks over at me real seriously. And he goes, that's what I always thought. And when the invitation was given, he went forward. I remember that. I lost track of him. I wasn't really a good youth pastor. I wasn't thorough. I didn't follow up and get him into discipleship. All I did was I just couldn't turn him away because I felt bad for him. That's about all I did. Invite him to a few things. I wasn't a good youth pastor. He writes me. This week he found me on Facebook, friended me. And he says, my wife and I, we drive by that house on Ironwood. And every time we drive by that house on Ironwood, I say, that's where 
Ken Pierpont lived, he let me in the night my mom was beating me. And he said, you helped me open my heart to Jesus. And from what I can read, Jerry's still got a ways to go like you and I probably do too. But I thought, now Lord, I was reading this passage and it just made me start crying in my office. When a son of man comes in his glory with his angels, he's going to reward those who suffered with him. I can do this. How about you? I can do this. I think it kind of brings me to the Father's Day piece of this, and I want to say this, and, and then we have a treat for you before we go home, and, and, and that's this. You're, you're a man here, and, and you know, I've often thought about, you know, what, is it, what does it mean to be a man? We should see the big idea here. Jesus' fulfillment and mission required suffering and death, but he wouldn't rise again, but he would rise again and he would be exalted. And so it is with us. It's only when you humble yourself. This is kind of a wordy big idea, but it's just what I came up with. When you humble yourself, understand God's purpose in the world, join him on that mission, you'll have a deeply fulfilling life and you'll have eternal rewards. But I think you already got that. I decided to take a picture of some of my little merit badges and you see, I'm, how many of you know about Boy Scouts? Raise your hand. What rank was I? No. I always wanted to be an Eagle Scout, but that's the second class. So I'm like locked into second class for the rest of my life. I will always be second class. It's kind of embarrassing, really. And, and some of the other things that I did, I, I remember just like trying to become a man, thinking if I could be an Eagle Scout. I knew my dad really admired Eagle Scout, but I, I didn't make it. I, I thought girls in my class, they admired guys who played football. I noticed that. You know, the guys would wear their jersey on Friday. And, and I would think that, but I was skinny and uncoordinated. That, that didn't work. And, uh, and then I thought, honor roll. I'm not even interested in that, you know. It's just craziness. And uh, there were people that smoked pot and cigarettes. I, might, I better not do that. It might, might not turn out well. You know, this is not, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, then there's guys that go to the gym, you know, that's the, or you can, you can rebuild an engine or, or, or you can leap tall building with a single bound, you know, what is, what makes a man a man? What makes a man a man? That's a good question. Don't you think? What makes a man a man? I, I think sometimes my wife thinks if you can fix things, you're a real man, which puts me at a distinct disadvantage because it's not really what I'm best at. If you go back in my study back there, you have thousands and thousands of books. I've been working on it since I was 14 years old. Thousands of books. None of them are on electrician or plumbing. Not a single one. Not one. In thousands of books, nothing on fixing stuff. Nothing. Fixing people, but not fixing things. If you go to my garage, you're not going to find one of those pegboards with little silhouettes on it where people put their little wrenches that just the right size. You married to a guy like that? He's got the little silhouettes in there, and you put the little wrench on. I admire guys like that. You can, like, eat off the floor of their garage. You cannot find the floor of my garage. You're not going to go in my garage and find one of those tools. You know, you'll open it up, and it's got, like, thousands of tools. It's just not like that. So this week when it started leaking into the basement, the kids are like, hey, Dad, the water's running in the basement. I'm like... I even I know that's not supposed to do that, you know, like it's running through the ceiling in the basement. And I'm like nuts because I have no idea how to stop water from running through the ceiling in the basement. So I tell the girls, no more showers. And they're like, are you serious with me right now? I mean, you, you, you got to fix it. I'm like, I can't fix it. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, that's just crazy. You know, that just seemed like, you know, that just seemed like nuclear science to me. And so I'm thinking, I'll do it on Saturday. 
because I had no idea what to do. So I literally go to bed Friday night going, Jesus, you know I'm you know, not good at fixing stuff. So would you help me? My, my wife wanted me to install a, a dishwasher, an automatic dishwasher. I'm like, you mean you can't just like go over there and run them under the water and just like clean them up, have the kids dry them? There's eight kids. They all eat. Couldn't they all just like wash and dry, <laughs> put them away? I mean, Lois has said, wants me to install it. So she calls me on the phone. Does your wife ask you questions she doesn't really want to know the answer to? Yeah, this is Lois. No, she, she, she's not here today, so I'm feeling, feeling really brave. So, so, I, so she says, it's okay, she, we talked about this. She, she says, hey, she calls me on the phone. If we get an automatic dishwasher, should we have them install it or you? I'm going, them. I mean, that's not hard. Them. Have the man that knows what he's doing come and install it and pay him whatever he asks. That's just, you know, and she's like, call me back. I'm like, what, did I stutter? Did you not hear what I said? I was really nice. I'm like, what do you think? She says, I think you should have the man pay the man to install it. He's got a family he's got to feed. He's got hungry little children at home. And if we don't give him work, they may starve. Do you want that on your conscience? You know, let the man put it in. She called my son, who I love desperately, and he says, anybody can do it. I'm like, well, then why don't you come over and do it? So my wife says to me, Kyle said, anybody can do it. I'm like... I get my phone out. Hey, Kyle, don't ever do that again. Don't, I said, I love you, but don't ever do that. Don't ever tell your mother anybody can do it unless you want to haul yourself over here and I'll watch the grandsons while you do this. And he's like, you know, I'm, he said, oh, I'm sorry, Dad. I go, well, just you know, keep it in mind. And, he, and then he says, oh, don't worry. You know, He says, if you get stuck, I'll, I'll guide you through it. So, uh, you know, so I'm a manhood is challenged, and i got to put the dishwasher in, and, 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 it, and it, it's in, it works, and, and I survived that. But it was, like, really traumatic for me, you know. And now i got the leak in, in a basement, and I'm just thinking about that, and the story's going too long. But, but nonetheless, I, yesterday I get on YouTube, I call the people at Moan who are very nice. A girl on the, on the customer support thing, I mean, how emasculating is that? Martha. <laughs> She just let me tell you how to fix it. I'm like, oh, man. I go to Lowe's. Who waits on me? A girl, you know, and she knows. I don't even know the, what you call stuff. And she knows everything. She's a very smart lady and told me all the stuff that I needed. You know, and then she said to me, and this part <laughs> won't fix it. And I'm like, I'm, and Hope was there for moral support. And I'm like, Jesus, this has got to fix it because the girls are going to be home tomorrow. And they have this thing about taking showers, you know. So I go in, and, and I put it all in, and I turned it on, and it worked. Because Jesus loves me. That's why I have no idea why. It was just so awesome. Yes, go ahead. Yes. And, and, and so I got to think a lot about, well, what does it take to be a man? You have to have a big knife. You have to be able to kill and gut a deer. Uh, you have to be able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Electric isn't shocking to you. Plumbing doesn't drown you. I mean, what, what do you got to do to be a real man? And this text tells us. I took the long route, I know. I took the long route, but you're a man, and you're here today. Here's what you cannot escape if you listen to Jesus. He says this, here's what a man does. A man lays down his life in my eternal redemptive cause. So it might look like this, where you come home and you, you've got a wife, you've got kids, you've got bills to pay, you've got things to fix, you've got leaks to fix, you've got electric to fix, you've got bills to pay, you've got people that are down on you, you got all, and you do that stuff. You, and it's just almost like you're, you're laying down your life, you're sacrificing, you're giving. Listen, man, hear me now. If you want to be a happy man, 
I can tell you this because this is what Jesus says to us. If you want to be a fulfilled, joyful, happy man, lay down your life. Stay with your wife. Love her even when she's having trouble loving you back. Fix the stuff that breaks or ask help to get stuff. Pray, cry out to God, ask for a miracle. Take care of business, you know. And that's true in the house with the kids and your wife. And it's true in the, in the culture. It's true in the church. Men, if you want to have a life, follow Jesus in laying down your life in sacrifice. Join on this wonderful grand mission. And his promise to you is that one day you'll look around and you'll think, huh, I did all those hard things. I gave up all those things I wanted to do. I made all those sacrifices. I put up with all that junk. And the crazy thing is, I really feel happy. I really do. And the guys that were out there running from one crazy game to another, trying to make themselves happy, going to have wrinkled faces, broken hearts, and they're going to be far from God. So I hope you will be helped. i got a treat for you right now. Before, we're going to sing a song in a minute. We're going to sing it while, we're, while the goods were playing as the deer. I was thinking that's how we should end singing as the deer. But the stories are with us. And I'd like to ask you both, uh, if you would come, come to the platform. And, and because I want to give you just a little taste of what's going to happen in the service tonight. Uh, there are missionaries, and, and they're in a seam of change in their life. I'm going to ask them just to greet you, say hi, and maybe give you a, a greeting. When they're done, we'll sing together. Please. <laughs> good to have you. Hi, I just want to say it's really good to be here today. It's been eight years since we've been here. You've been supporting me um, for almost 30 years, and um, it's been a long time since we've been back. Um, it's just great to see everybody. And um, we'll see you tonight, hopefully. I realize some of you won't be here because of Father's Day, but I hope most of you will come back and we can tell you what's been happening in the last seven years in Canada and what we plan to happen in the future. It is a joy to be here. I just want you to know that as a young boy, my father uh, passed away when I was 11 years old. When I was 12 years old, I was preparing to be baptized. And I talked to my mother and I said, I don't know what to tell the deacons. And she said... Well, Jimmy, when you were a little boy, I started praying these verses for you. And I think you should share those with the deacons. And it's uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters. It was great going through my teenage years, knowing that my father in heaven was my father. Thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to being able to share with you what God's doing in our lives now, this evening. Just stand with me, please.